So I heard there was a cold front coming, so I put on corduroy today. That was a big mistake. It's amazing in Florida when cold front is 80 degrees, right? It really is. Thank y'all so much for being here today. We are in this series of messages called Together. And it's important to talk about this because there's power in community and who we are when we come together. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, we've learned that when we come together, we can learn more effectively who we should be, but we also can grow more effectively to become who we learned we should be. In fact, we know that God created us with the ability to gain knowledge, and we gain that knowledge in order to change our character, to change who we are. Our character is a really important part of who we are because all of us have character, and what we've learned is is that our character is associated with our love. So if we love others more than we love ourselves and put others before ourselves, we become very selfless in character. We're a selfless person. We're willing to give up things for the good of others. But if we love ourselves and love ourselves more than we love others, we become very self-centered in our character. And therefore, it's easy for us to cause problems and pain in the lives of other people because of our self-centeredness. Both of these come out of character. What God did is he provided an example for us in who it is that we should be who we should be in this love. In fact, we are to be people who show love in a very specific and special kind of way. We're to do it by showing a gracious love. And that gracious love is seen through the example that God gave us in Jesus. In fact, we put these two concepts together last week of learning and growing as we looked at a scripture that's found in 1 Peter, excuse me, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 which says this, but grow in the grace, there's that word grace, it's a a love where we give to others even though they don't deserve it. But grow in this grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever, amen. So Jesus is our example of showing love to people who don't deserve love, and we should become just like him. And when we do, we take on the characteristics of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk to you about, actually, as we begin today. And this is a little bit of bonus information. It's not on your outline sheet. In the last series of messages that I shared with you, I talked a lot about the fruits of the Spirit and actually spoke a message about the fruits of the Spirit. But I, I want to go back and talk about that again because when we reveal these things in our life, we do it because we are becoming like Jesus, This is what happened. Jesus was on the earth, and when he went back up into heaven, he told the people, I'm going to send someone to you, a counselor or a comforter, and it's the Holy Spirit. And in another passage of Scripture, we learn this, that the Holy Spirit is known as the mind of Christ. So I want you to think about the Holy Spirit in that way. The Holy Spirit helps us to think like Jesus thinks so that we can become like Jesus is. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So then we hear about what it looks like when we live by the fruits of the Spirit. So if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit and I'm responding in the right way to the Holy Spirit, then these things become a part of my life, our life. Now, it's found in Galatians chapter 5. It's not on the screen, all right? If you have your Bible, you can turn to this. If you have a Bible app, you can take a look at it if you want to, or you can just listen to me as I read the Scripture. But in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, it says this, but the fruit... 
of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. It's translated as patience in some translations. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I love this because when we bear the fruits of the Spirit, these things become a part of us. Now, I didn't give you a way to fill it out on an outline sheet, but I did bring with me my trusty friend, Frankie the Fruit Plant. Now I've given it a name. How's that? There it is. Our fruit plant, and I have done something very technical. I use a marker and some paper and paper clips and put the fruits on the plant. Am I creative or what? It's astonishing. It's astonishing, right? So anyway, I put these fruits on the fruit plant, and it's important. And the first three are really important because it starts with love. This is what happens. If I experience love, if someone shows me gracious love, a love that I don't deserve, I feel joy. I respond to that love with a feeling of joy. I feel valued and of worth. I feel joy. If there is love, this gracious type of love, if we're giving each other things that we don't deserve in a good and positive way, then there is peace. There is no conflict. There's no war between us. If I have this type of love, because that's the love of Jesus, then I am patient with other people. It's on the trade. I bear with other people in their weaknesses. I'm faithful. In other words, I do what I say I'm gonna do. There's goodness. In other words, I do good things for others to help meet their need because there are things that they need and I'm willing to do things to meet their need. I'm kind to people. In other words, I treat people the way I want to be treated myself and I'm under control. There's self-control. In other words, I don't allow how you feel about me to control how I feel about myself. I'm controlled by how I know God feels about me, so I remain in control. And how does God feel about me? He loves me and showed me his gracious love. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. Now, I want you to listen further in the scripture and what it says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, Running, in other words, self-centered, provoking, and envying each other. So we provoke and envy each other because life, again, becomes, becomes this competition with, with, with each other. Now, it's really interesting that he talked about these fruits of the Spirit, and he talked about the flesh desires. What's so amazing about this scripture is before he talked about the fruits of the Spirit, he told us what our life looks like when we live by the flesh. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to back up in the scripture and I'm going to go to verse 19 and I'm going to read this in Galatians 5:19. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, in other words there's not peace between us, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, there it is, that selfish character, right? Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's a whole different kind of plant, right? I want you to think of it this way. If these fruits were dead, it would look like what I just described in the flesh. We would be at war with each other. 
we would not be faithful, there would be dissensions, there would be hatred, there would be living for pleasure and sexual, sexual immorality, there'd be debauchery because it's all about pleasure. These fruits without life are living by the flesh. It's a completely different lifestyle. And what he said is, if we know Christ, we live by the fruits of the Spirit. So which one are you living by? Let me ask you another question. This is a good question. Which community of people do you associate with? Now, I know part of the answer, because you're here today, all right? But we choose to be a part of a community, and in that community, we learn these things. We're learning about who we are together, and what we're learning is, is that it's in our togetherness that we become who we are. We allow other people to influence us as a plant, as a person, to become who I become. So I can choose to be around people who are being like Jesus, who are patient and kind and all these things so they can influence me to be the same, or I can decide I wanna feel okay about living a debaucherous life of the flesh and doing what I wanna do and choose to, to hang out with people who do things so I can feel okay about my lifestyle, even though it's not godly. See, what we tend to do is, when we start drifting away, if you're a Christian, if you start drifting away from the fruits of the Spirit and relying on Jesus and you get involved in other types of behaviors, you tend to find yourself associating more with people who are ungodly than you do with people who are godly. You've moved communities. May we never switch communities, right? Because we need each other to help us in our times of weakness. Because y'all, we are all saved by what? Grace. We all are saved by Jesus. He still loves us. And we need each other. We choose what group we're going to associate with. And the culture of that group is so important. I've shared with you uh, in this series that I've been reading a book, The Other Side of the Church. And uh, it's, it's really awesome because it talks about the power of community. It's written by Jim Wilder, who's this Christian neuroscientist. He's a brain guy. And uh, Michael Hendricks, who is a, a Christian educator. And it's just so amazing and, and wonderful how they put things together. Michael, the educator, uh, gave an illustration I thought was really real relevant to our understanding all of this. He talked about his eyes. Now he had struggles with his eyes and they kept getting swollen and itchy and red and he'd go to the doctor and the doctor gave him some uh, antibiotics and it would go away for a while, but it would keep coming back. So he finally went to the doctor and, he, and the doctor said, okay, I think I know what the problem is. I think what we have is a cultural problem here. There's a cultural problem here. And when he heard that, it sounded kind of odd to him because he didn't think of his eyes having a culture. But he said, the culture of your, of your eyes are susceptible to bacteria which are causing you not to be well. So the culture was susceptible some, to something that caused his eyes not to be well. Well, being the Christian educator guy, he is, always looking for an illustration like myself, right? He thought this is a great illustration about a community, because it's so true of us as a community as well. A community has a culture, but some community cultures are susceptible to infection and they become unwell. Isn't that true? 
And the reason why they're susceptible to that is because they don't have within it what they need. What do we need? On your outline sheet number one, let's fill in some blanks. It says this, that we need good soil. And as I've shared with you, that the soil of the plant really is relationships. In fact, we can think about the soil as the cultural relationships that we have that help us grow. Now, if that soil is depleted of nutrients that we need, then it affects our growth and we become unwell. So what is it that we need? What is it that needs to be involved in that soil? We need love. Every soil has love. Let me say that again. Every soil, every group of people, all right, when we come together, there is love involved in that community because all of us have characters. But some people have selfless love character and other people have selfish love character, right? So I need to be hanging around people who have the right type of love. So on your outline sheet, let's write it down. We grow in the soil of selfless love. We need that type of love to help us grow. Why? Well, who does God want us to be? God wants us to be people who are selfless people who want others to succeed. So I need to be with a group of people who aren't about winning, who aren't about being better. I need to be with a group of people who are about wanting me to succeed and me wanting them to succeed. Because if we have that kind of love for each other, then we're wanting to help each other be better for the good of the community and for each other to support and help one another. It all comes out of love. I love how Paul wrote this. I want you to read this scripture out loud with me. It's found in 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Here we go, let's read it. Do everything in love. Say it one more time. Do everything in love. Let's put emphasis on everything and read it. Do everything in love. So everything that I do related to other people and my connection with other people should come out of wanting them to succeed and to be better. Because you see, if that's not where it's coming from, then it affects how it is that I live my life. Y'all, it's really a great example that we need love so that we can grow. It's like water. We need water so that we can grow. I have the response. We have plants on our porch and um, several of them and love the plants. They're awesome. I've been given the job to water the plants because it seems like I do everything at the house. Anyway, so... Um, that is a lie from the pit of hell right there, okay? If you knew the truth about it, it's like I don't do very much at all. Um, so anyway, I, I water the plants, so many times I forget to water the plants, and what happens to the plant? They do this. Y'all, it's so cool about creation and how God created things, right? Because I'll squirt some water, that's a southern term, I'll squirt some water in those plants, and overnight, those plants will come back to life. Isn't it crazy? Why? Because the water gave them the nutrients that they needed to flourish. That water is selfless love that causes me to flourish. Because without this love, what happens? I wither. We wither in the soil of selfish love. If I'm with a bunch of people who are self-centered, they're not giving me what I need because they're not giving me for things for my success, for me to benefit and to be better and to overcome whatever challenges I have in my life. Instead, they're wanting to push me down and keep me down because they're living their life as 
a, a comparison. They live to compare themselves with us and they have to be better than us, so therefore it becomes a competition. We learned about this last week. And in competition, we want other people to lose. So now we're not working for people's success, we're looking and working toward their failure. So what do I do if I wanna, wanna fail and I'm doing things against people to make sure they fail? This is what happens. Instead of goodness, there's dissensions. I am angry toward people. I'm doing hateful things toward people. There's debauchery. There are all these things that are happening out of my life because it's all about me. My fruit that was alive has withered and become something of the flesh. Y'all, there's good news. It can change to be something of the fruit of the Spirit if we experience change in our own personal lives. This is what happens with a person who's like this. They respond uh, emotionally. A, per a person who's withered, you can tell a withered person because they have, um, they're, they're trusting in something to give them happiness, to give them some sense of value in their life, but they're not happy. They don't have joy. Remember, if there's love, there's joy. They don't have joy. They're, they're looking to other things to make them feel happy. And because they don't have this joy in their life, they become angry. They become bitter. They become anxious about everything because they're afraid things aren't gonna work out they want to, the way they want it to to make them feel good about their life. They become depressed. Y'all, doesn't that sound like a withering plant right there? I'm so depressed. There it is. Anger, depression, bitterness, all anxiety, all of these things are outward signs of our emotions that say we're dried up, y'all. We are dried up. We need some water. We need the right kind of love. Well, you're never gonna find it in the community that you're in that's trying to get you to live the wrong type of life. Self-centeredness at its extreme extent is something called narcissism. And narcissism looks like this. A narcissist has the inability to empathize with other people. They can't feel other people's pain. They want to crush people who are more successful than they are, so they want to put them down. And they wanna crush people who don't agree with their lifestyle and what they believe in. They wanna crush them. I'll give you a great example that's all over the news right now, of a narcissistic group of people who are unhealthy where it's all become about them. They're called Hamas. And the reason why I say that is because there's, it's not even humane to think about what they've done in the killing of children and women and babies and all that. I mean, how in the world can you see any good in that at all? There is no good in that at all. You know what there is? There's hatred, there's dissension, and y'all, it comes out of an anger that's in them. And you know what they need? They need some joy in their life. They're trusting in something for their happiness to gain power over another nation where all God wants is for them to be a part of their kingdom, the kingdom of God that comes for all of us. Y'all, I, I just want you to understand this. Jesus died for the Palestinian Hamas person 
who took the life of a baby just as much as he died for you. All of us need the love of God. And we need to be people who show that love of God to other people. Number two on your outline sheet, we need to be open. Oh, by the way, I'm not gonna finish today. Number two, <clears throat> we need to be open to hearing what we need to do to improve and grow. We need to be open, again, to hearing what we need to do to improve and grow. We need to want to improve. I've gotta have a desire to have a change of heart. One of my favorite verses is found in Psalm 51, verse 10. It says this, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is a prayer I pray a lot because I know I have impure thoughts sometimes. I know I have thoughts that are not good and do impure things, and I wanna have a heart's desire for God. I need to have a heart's desire for Him. So when will this happen? Well, we have to deal with something in our life for this to happen. So on your outline sheet, let's write what it is. It says this, we need to become ashamed. That's a big word, it's an important word, the word ashamed. John, who I mentioned last week, is known as the apostle of love because he wrote so much about love. And we read a passage of scripture in 1 John last week. I wanna read something else to you that John said. And he spoke about this very topic. It's also in 1 John. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, which says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. John's saying, when, when Jesus comes, we, need to, we shouldn't be ashamed of, of our life and what we've done and what that looks like. Well, what, what does that look like? What is this a shame type of life? I wanna give you a definition of the word shame. The word shame means this. It's the painful feeling arising from knowing you have done something dishonorable. Now, I wanna be real careful about this when I talk about the word shame because there are actually two different types of shame. There's a shame called toxic shame. And toxic shame is when someone's trying to make you feel like you've done something wrong and that you're the cause of the problem. It's all your fault that this happened when it's not your fault. They want you to feel shame. They want you to feel terrible and devalued in your life. And what happens is people who are narcissistic, people who are very self-centered, want to use shame to push people down. But there's another type of shame. It's this being ashamed. And that's what this definition refers to. It's the painful feeling arising from knowing you have done something dishonorable. In other words, I have done something I shouldn't have done that dishonored someone who deserves honor. In other words, I, I did something that dishonored God. I did something that didn't protect his reputation. I did something that did not support what he's all about because I became selfish in nature and God is all about selflessness. And I feel ashamed. Y'all feeling ashamed is a good thing. Because what happens is, for some people, they feel no shame. And if you don't feel shame when you've done something wrong, if they don't feel ashamed like a very narcissistic person does, then what happens is, is they turn into this person who's constantly looking at others and blaming them for what has gone wrong. 
In fact, when someone comes to this type of person and says, uh, you've done something and it caused someone pain in order to help support that person to change their behavior to be better because that's what we should be about, they instead respond to what has been said to them with ridicule against them. They make excuses for what they have done and they place the blame on the other person rather than looking to themselves because they don't feel ashamed. Y'all, it's a good thing when you feel ashamed because that's when you can change, right? That's when I know my heart's wrong. I feel badly when someone experiences pain because of my behavior. Let's write some statements down about this on our sheet. Uh, it says we, we need to become ashamed. We don't make excuses for our hurtful behaviors. In other words, I'm not making excuses for this. You are telling me I caused pain. I'm taking a hard look at myself to see, yes, I really did cause pain. And it's bothering me. And I need and want and desire a change of heart in me. The next statement puts it this way. We accept people's attempt to teach us how we are to lovingly behave. We want people to share with us, to help us be people who are better. Don't you wanna be in that type of community? A loving community? Or do you just wanna be in a community where everybody's encouraging you to continue to do bad things so they themselves can feel better about doing the bad things themselves? One of the reasons why people aren't regular in church, I, y'all know this is, I don't have statistics to prove this. I just know from personal experience and just counsel and everything else. One of the reasons why people aren't regular in attending church and being involved in community and groups is because they don't wanna let go of their lifestyle. They don't wanna let go of their fleshly lifestyle and the pleasure that they're getting from it. And they know if I'm around a bunch of Christian people all the time, they're gonna keep encouraging me to be better and and I don't wanna hear it. So what happens? I show up at Christmas and Easter. Aren't you glad it's not Christmas or Easter when I just said that, right? Aren't you happy about that, right? But isn't that what happens? Y'all, we should long for this type of community because we have a desire to be better because here's the thing, what you think is gonna make you happy will not, but being like Christ gives you a joy that is eternal that all of us desire. Do I have a witness out there, right? We need to be around each other so we can experience this. Number three on your outline sheet, let's fill it in. We need to become humble. For all this to happen, I have to be in this state Solomon, the wise guy in the Bible, in Proverbs 11, verse two, wrote this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. Disgrace, there is no grace. Disgrace, there is no grace. Right, isn't that cool to think of it that way? When pride comes, there is no grace, there's disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom, that I know how it is that I'm supposed to live my life. So how is it that I'm supposed to live my life? In humility. Let's look at the two definitions. The word pride means this, a high opinion of one's own ability, importance, or superiority, whether as thoughts in the mind, I think this about myself, or as displayed in overbearing conduct. In other words, I do things to push you down so I can elevate myself. That's pride. 
Instead, I'm supposed to be humble. The word humble means this, not being arrogant and being willing to place the needs of others before your own. So I'm willing to lift other people up even though I may have to stay in a certain position to be able to lift people up and to support people as they become better. I'm willing to give for the good of other people. So what does all this mean? It means this. On your outline sheet, we need to overcome our pride. We need to be people who are not prideful. I'm prideful because all I'm doing is looking at myself and my abilities and my importance and my position for my sense of self-worth. And here's the thing. I don't think I need anyone else. And God has a name for people who don't think they need anyone else who are prideful. Would you like to hear what it is? Scripture says it. Look at what it says. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. Prideful people are stiff-necked people. So y'all, let's get really deep and spiritual and write something spiritual on our sheet. Look at the next statement. It says this. Our necks need to be loosened. The wisdom is astonishing from the stage today. I know, it's shocking, right? If I got a stiff neck, my neck needs to be loosened. Why is it stiff? Because I refuse to bow down and say I need anyone else. That's why it's stiff. So I need to be in a position where I realize I need the help of God. I need to rely on him. Y'all, it all has to do with the culture of our community. I wanna, I want you to think about the people of Israel and what happened with them. You would think that the people of Israel would be the most selfless people in the world, selfless. We know that God allowed them to be in captivity because of their evil behavior and God kept them in captivity for a long period of time before he allowed them to be released. He looked down and saw them and loved them and cared for them and wanted to be released. So Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt where they were in captivity across the Red Sea, all of that stuff. You'd think these people were so thankful for everything that God did for them. Selfless people, right? It's all about him. Well, this is not the case at all. They went on their track and they were just complaining about everything. We don't have food. We don't have water. We don't have this. We don't have that. We don't have this. We they were just complaining about everything and God decides to give Moses the 10 commandments. So Moses goes up to get the 10 commandments and while he's getting the 10 commandments, the people down in the valley where the people of Israel are decide we're gonna have a party, okay? We're gonna party and by the way, who needs God? We should create our own God. So they go to this guy named Aaron. Aaron is like second in command, right? There's Moses and Aaron, and Aaron's supposed to be the spiritual leader. So they go to Aaron to get him to help them out, have this other false God. So anyway, Moses is up there getting the commands. God's looking down, sees it, he says, Moses, hey dude, Tim paraphrase, all right? Dude, they're going crazy down there. You need to get down there and see what's going on. So he goes down and he has a conversation with Aaron about all the stuff that's happening. There's a golden calf, they're partying, they're doing all this stuff, they're running wild. They're going crazy. And this is what Aaron says to him. Let me read it to you, it's on your sheet. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods and who will go before us? 
As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. You, you say you believe in God and trust in God and you're doing this? Thought you guys were supposed to be different. Y'all, do we not see the power of community in this situation? Somebody, the godly person who's supposed to be making a positive impact to keep them together is out of the picture and then they start influencing each other because they're not listening to God. They're listening to each other and they go crazy, debauchery, drunkenness. All of these things start coming out of them while Moses is gone. And get this, think about Aaron. Aaron's supposed to be second in in charge. Y'all, think about the, Aaron should have been influencing the people but the, the people influenced him. The people were like, no, we wanna be able to do our own thing and worship what we make and do all this stuff, Aaron. So we need another God. So Aaron's like, bring, you, bring, bring me your gold. Y'all, Aaron's the one who built the calf. He builds this calf for them. Does this not sound like our world today or what? We have people in the world who wanna live a certain lifestyle and they're telling leaders and people in the church we should be able to do it. And they put people, put pressure on the people in the church until they change what they say to make it okay for them to live the way they're living. And y'all, it's not. Oh my soul, let me tell you why it's not. Are you ready? I'm just gonna tell you why it's not. The calf can't love you back. (laughs) Right? You've been trusted in this stuff for happiness. These things that don't love you back, don't love you back unconditionally or have the inability to love you back because it's something that's not even alive. You're trusting in that. The calf can't love you back, but God does. He loves you back. You know what happened? What happened with them is what happens with us when we forget about God. Let's write two things down and this is where we're gonna stop, all right? We make false gods. We forget about God, so we make other things our God. They can be things that we make with our own hands or they can be other people, whatever, who don't love us unconditionally, whatever it might be. But something else becomes our God. And I've shared this many times, how you can tell. What you spend your time on and what you spend your money on usually tells you what you value the most and what you value the most is your God. So we can't say we love God the most if we don't spend our time with God and don't spend our resources to help spread the love of God. How can we say that we love God the most? I mean, it just does, we have no evidence of that. So what is it that we do love the most? We've made other things false gods. Again, they don't love us back. Here's the second thing that happens. We live for pleasure. Sexual immorality, debauchery, drunkenness, all of these things that Paul listed before he mentioned the fruits of the spirit of desires of the flesh, fleshly behaviors begin to come out of our lives. We're gonna stop right here. But I wanna tell you another part of the story. 
Moses goes to God and Moses says to God, I know these people are evil and they've done something terrible in your sight, but please forgive them. And if you don't forgive them, then take my name out of the book. In other words, if you're gonna remove their name from heaven, look, I'll take their place. Take my name out of the book so that these people can know you. Even though these people were so evil, Moses still loved them and wanted them to have a relationship with God. Moses is a beautiful example of a savior who would one day come. God, I'll go. Take my life so that their names can be written in the book. Y'all, Jesus did that for you. Isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter how selfish you are, how bad of things that you've done in your life. When we get to the point where we feel ashamed because we realize life is not about me, it's about the God who loves me even though I'm imperfect. And it's showing that love to other people. It's when I feel that, that I can be changed. That God can change my life. It's then that we confess our sins and Jesus hears us and forgives us of our sins. I wanna ask everyone right now to bow your heads and close your eyes. It might be today that you're not a Christian. It might be today that you've lived a selfish lifestyle and are involved in all of these other different types of behavior and want it to be okay and have been trying to make it seem like it's okay the whole time. None of those things love you back. They don't give you what it is that we were created for. And that is a relationship with a God who unconditionally loves us no matter what. He loves you right now. What we have to do is to be willing to confess what we've done wrong out of being ashamed that we would say to God, God, I'm sorry that I've sinned. I know this is wrong. And I know that I've hurt you. I've dishonored you. And I've hurt other people. And I need to be forgiven. The Bible tells us if we call on the name of the Lord, that we'll be saved. So I wanna help you pray a prayer similar to what I just shared. So if you're not a Christian today, and if you need a relationship with God, you don't have a relationship with him. I wanna invite you to make the most important decision you've ever made in your life right now. Just imagine God sitting on his throne and I would invite you to say these words to him right now, just silently. Dear God, I know you love me and I don't deserve it. I do things wrong. I've been selfish and I'm sorry. I'm ashamed of how I've lived. I know that I've hurt you and others. I know you sent Jesus to die on the cross to take the punishment for the sins that I have done, a punishment that I deserve. Jesus, I accept what you did for me by giving your life for me, for my sins, and for coming back to life to defeat death forever. I wanna be like you. I wanna live bearing the fruits of who you are. Help me to be like you as I follow you from this moment on.